to to uh, be able to sing that um, and sing it along with you all and, and hear you all singing that uh, together. It's a, it's a great thing. Um, as Joshua already said, my name is Zach. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, and I every once in a while I'll get the opportunity to preach on a Sunday morning. And this is one of those times. If you've uh, been around and seen me preach before, I have preached on a single verse for an entire sermon. I've preached on uh, earlier in this year what was essentially the whole Old Testament in, in one single sermon. And this morning I have been told, given the task of preaching on just one single chapter, which uh, may or may not have ended up being significantly harder than either of those two that I, that I had done before. But uh, as Joshua mentioned, I, this often happens, the, the few times I've preached, uh, where Joshua will get up here or uh, Ben will get up here or someone will get up here and essentially preach my sermon uh, in two minutes and then I'm left like scratching my head, what am I going to do? The, those verses that Joshua read were great and I appreciate them a lot because they do set up very well what I have to say this morning. Um, but we are continuing in the book of John, in the gospel of John, picking up where Ben has left us off in uh, chapter Eight last week, uh, looking at chapter 7, but particularly chapter 8. And as we look at the book of John, and, and we're going through this book, we're looking at uh, the true light, Jesus as the true light. And John, the apostle John, when he wrote this book, he was primarily concerned with addressing the question, who is Jesus? All of this writing, all of it focuses on that. Uh, and, and the reason we're looking uniquely at John is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the four other, or three other Gospels, excuse me, in the New Testament, they, uh, they are pretty similar. They kind of tell a lot of similar stories, say a lot of the same things, just from somewhat different perspectives. But John, John adds and, and, and gives us things that the other Gospels don't give us. And so when we're looking at th- this book of John as we go through the series, those are some of the things we're focusing on. And this morning is no different. And so as we approach John 9 this morning, trying to figure out what God has for us in it, we need to be asking the question that John all along is prepared to answer. And there may not be a more important question. It's who is Jesus? Uh, Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we get going? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for music. Um, It's so powerful that it it works in us in a different way than just a spoken word does. Uh, It sticks with us. It's easy to remember. God, thank you that you've given us the gift to be able to gather together and sing your praise and be reminded of these truths that there's joy where there's brokenness because you're a good father and you've not left us to ourselves. God, that as I come here prepared to preach and do the... uh, sometimes impossible task of bringing your word to to our hearts that you would work that you would work through me that you would um, reward the hard work that i've done this week god that our hearts would together be stirred up to love you more as we see you as we see what you've done as we see what you've done for us in jesus that our hearts would just brim over with love that that works itself out in worship in obedience in loving one another thank you for this church the people here at prairie view um, and the opportunity that i have as a young man to come here and and preach your word it's in jesus precious name i pray amen if you would then if you have not already turn with me to john 9 uh, i would encourage you 
to do that, whether that's on your phone, your own Bible, uh, one of the Bibles in front of you in the seats, uh, underneath the seats there. Uh, we will be right now reading the entire chapter of, of John, John 9. It's 41 verses long. It's not going to be up there because it would have just been a wall of white text, and I'm kind of weird about stuff like that, and that just bothers me, and so I didn't do that. There will be other verses eventually, but right now as we read through this, it's not there. So if you could turn with me to John 9. It begins, as he passed by, talking about Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called to the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you too want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Thank you for bearing with me through that long 40 uh, verses. When we look at that and we're considering that and, and bearing in mind who is Jesus, who is John telling us Jesus is? The maybe easy answer that's right in front of our faces is Jesus is a man of great power. Uh, If you had an eye problem and you went to an eye doctor and he pulled you out of the office, took you outside, spit in the mud, took that mud, rubbed it on your face, and then said, "Go, just go wash off, you're going to be all better, you would sue them for malpractice. And yet that's the exact thing Jesus does for this man, and, and it works. So as we look at John 9, we realize... Jesus is a man of great, great power. But beyond that, and maybe more important to the book of John, with the way John opens up and the way this theme works itself out, is that Jesus is the light of the world. We, let's start there. Right? Jesus claims to be the light of the world. He does it in chapter 9 here in verse 5. It says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he, he claims to be the light of the world in chapter 8 as well. If you remember, if you were with us last week, and Ben, ben brought this up last week in, in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what is Jesus' claim exactly? What is Jesus saying? We, we talked about this some last week. Ben spoke to us about this last week, so I'm not going to go into all of the details and, and all that thing. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But this is an important question. Like is, is Jesus, are we expecting Jesus to be some kind of giant light bulb who glows and gives off this light that covers the entire earth? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But if we're going to understand this question... This, this idea of Jesus being the light of the world, then it's important to see where we're at in the book of John. We're in John 9, which comes after John 8. You would never go into a, some of you might never go into a library, but you would never go into a library if you were to go into a library and grab a book off the shelf, telling a story, read two pages of it, just like randomly in the middle, and maybe one of the characters or a couple of the characters, they say something funny or they do something strange, and you're like, ah, I know exactly what the author's trying to tell me. I know exactly what this story is saying. We wouldn't do that, so let's not do that with the Bible. Because believe it or not, like I said, John 8 and John 9 are connected. So we've already looked at John 8, 12, where Jesus claims to be the light of the world. So let's look now at John 8, verses 31 through 34. Again, Ben taught, taught on these verses last week. Um, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So in John 8, we have Jesus saying that he's come 
to liberate. He has come to free people from slavery. And slavery to what? Slavery to sin. Sin is a wicked, evil, manipulative, destructive master. Sin is anything and everything opposed to God, not from God. And it bends you and it puts you to work for things that will destroy you. Like a wicked master, sin doesn't care about your well-being. It doesn't care about how you feel or or how you're going to end up. Sin is a wicked, wicked master. And you may think you're a pretty good person. You're, nah, that's not me. Jesus, you're not talking about me there. I'm not a slave to sin. But the Bible has other things to say. The word of God itself has other things to say. We're still sinners. All of us are born into sin. There is an extremely, extremely high bar for what it means to not be a sinner. And none of us are even close. We are all, all well short of that bar. We're all born in sin. And being born in sin, whether you realize it or not, you're serving sin. And it's a terrible thing. Now, what do we see in John 9? In John 9, Jesus has come to give sight to the blind. He literally heals a blind man. He, he, he literally restores the sight to this man who was born blind. And how does he do it? He spits in the dirt and rubs it on his face and says, wash. Right? And he comes back seeing. And we know this. We know this wasn't a sham, that this isn't made up. Uh, and, and the reason we know this is because it's given to us here. They're the testimony of multiple witnesses. The neighbors who had seen this man for years begging. Is this, this is the same guy. How, how are his eyes open? His parents, this is our son who was absolutely born blind, and he clearly sees we can't argue against that. And so you have the religious leaders, clearly Jesus is involved, and they don't want to acknowledge that at all, but they can't argue with the fact that this man's eyes were opened. But beyond that, at the end of John 9, in in verse 39, what we read a little bit ago, Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world... That those who do not see may see, and those who, may become, those who see may become blind. What Jesus is speaking about here is not literal physical sight. Yes, he is powerful enough to take care of that. Obviously, yes, that's what we see in John 9. But more importantly, Jesus is speaking about spiritual sight, right? You're, you're, enslaved, or you're enslaved to sin. You're in spiritual bondage. Similarly, Jesus coming in John chapter 9 and saying, you are spiritually blind. And Jesus has come to give spiritual sight to those who have been spiritually blind. So to repeat, in John 8, Jesus is speaking about freedom, liberation from captivity and slavery. And in John 9, Jesus is speaking about giving sight to the blind. Would you turn with me to Luke 4, verse 18? Uh, this will be on the screen. On the screen behind us as well. As you're turning there just to set, set the stage a little bit, um, what's happening here is we're told a story about Jesus on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday, going to the synagogue. And as was their custom, similar to what we're doing here, they gather in the synagogue. Someone would open up a scroll of the Old Testament, their holy scriptures, and would read from it. And then they would teach from what they had read. And so here in Luke 4, we're given the story of Jesus doing just such a thing. I'll go ahead and read that now. Starting in verse 18, Luke 4, 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. (laughs) What Jesus had just done, he he gets up, he opens up the scroll from Isaiah, a prophet, uh, a prophet for Israel. And and these this portion of Isaiah we'll look at in a little bit is God speaking through Isaiah, telling him of this great day that's coming when God will come and rule and reign and he will restore his people. He will save his people. Mourning, uh, sadness, sorrow, all those things will be gone. And, and as it's talking about that, Jesus stands and he says, this is what's happening. These things I just read to you, you're looking at it. It's, it's happening in me. And so when we read the spirit of the Lord is upon me, we realize he's, he's saying the spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus because the spirit of the Lord, God himself has anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. And what, what more God has sent Jesus, now, now catch this, he has sent Jesus to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. The Apostle John, the author of the Gospel of John, intends for us to see that Jesus has been sent by God, right? Who is Jesus? Jesus is sent from God. And how do we know this? Well, Jesus tells us himself, right, in this, here in Luke, and and honestly, in John, in the book of John, in many, many places, it shows up in uh, the chapter we're looking at uh, in verse 4. It says, we must work the works of him who sent me. It showed up in in chapter 8. It keeps showing up. Jesus will over and over and over again talk about being sent, being from the Father, being from the Father, sent, 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 over and over. So who, according to Jesus, sent Jesus? God himself. But it gets better. <laughs> it gets better because Jesus hasn't just come as a great big helper sent from God. He's not just here to make us all feel better and pat us on the back and pick us up when we're down and things like that. No. What we just read in Luke is uh, quoting from Isaiah 61. So if we turn back to Isaiah 61, um, what we'll find and what I was mentioning is that Isaiah at, at this point is he's talking about this new day that's coming when God will come and reign and things are going to be made right. And just like John 8 and John 9 shouldn't be split apart and taken separately, it, it, it's a really amazing thing when you start to look at the Bible together. And so we're not going to look at Isaiah 61. Instead, we're going to look at Isaiah 60, verse 1, and then we'll jump down to verses 19 and 20. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And then jumping down to verse 19. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. So... Who is Jesus, right? Because what's happening here, and I hope, I want you to see this, right? Jesus is coming and he's saying, uh, you know, I am, I'm the light of the world. And then what's he doing with his actions? He's proclaiming liberty, freedom to slaves, and giving sight to the blind. And where do we find that? Where do we find that expectation? But here in Isaiah, but what else do we find with this expectation in Isaiah? We find the expectation that God will be the light. And so when Jesus comes and says, I'm the light of the world, it's not just, I'm come, sent from God to do a bunch of nice things for you all. I'm sent, come from God to give you sight, give you freedom, and then I'm, I'm off, see ya. No, Jesus is God the Son, God himself, 
sent from God the Father. And again, how do we know this? It's not an accident, right? It's not an accident that Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world as he proclaims freedom to captives and sight to the blind. This was their expectation. Isaiah 16 61, like I said, are prophesying the day. They're predicting, looking forward to the day when God will come and deliver his people and make things right. What does this look like according to Isaiah? Well, it looks like God coming to be light. And it looks like liberating captives and giving sight to the blind. However, simply seeing these events, or reading about them, hearing about them, isn't enough to change a person. It's not enough to change a person's heart. Simply reading or hearing that Jesus is the light of the world, the Son of God, sent to free us from our sins, isn't enough. We can look at the example of the Pharisees in John 9. They no doubt knew their Old Testaments. They probably knew it better than me. They no doubt knew that the precise claims Jesus were making were not just that he was sent from God, but that he was God himself. They knew that only God could do such a thing as give sight to a blind man. Yet they refused to accept Jesus' claims about himself. And this is the danger we face. This is that spiritual blindness. Where we could come in and hear these things and see these things, but as the Bible says, see but not see and hear but not hear. That we might be blind to the truth that Jesus is the light of the world. That we might see and hear all these great truths and still reject them. And so what if you find yourself in that place? If if what I'm saying, what's happening is revealing your blindness. What is the solution? Right? What, What do we do? You simply believe in Jesus. You, You just believe in Jesus. He does the work and he does it in really strange ways sometimes. But he does the work. You believe in Jesus, that he is the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. That he's the sent one from God who will give you spiritual sight. Who will free you from your bondage to sin, from that wicked master. That he's come to release you and give you sight and give you life to the full. Now, I have the great joy of knowing many of you and knowing that I do, in fact, speak to a crowd, a large crowd of Christians. And so how do we respond then to this revelation, this realization from John 9 that Jesus is God sent to be the light of the world, right? What does this story teach us? Well, first, we realize that God often works in uncomfortable ways. C.S. Lewis once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So we should not be surprised at how often God works through pain, how often God works through struggle and suffering. And because God often works through struggle and suffering and pain, we must not always suppose that those things are the result of sin. Right? Because the blind beggar in John 9 isn't suffering blindness as a punishment for sin. And not as far as we know, when the disciples ask, Jesus, teacher, teach us, why is this man suffering? Who sinned? His response isn't, oh, he did this thing, or oh, his parents did this thing. It's, no, no, the reason this man is blind, as I close my Bible, the reason this man is blind is so that the works of God might be put on display in him. It's not that he's suffering as punishment. It's the blind man is blind so that through his blindness, he might see the wonder and power and compassion of God working in Jesus. And so when we suffer, right, we don't suffer always because of sin. And what this means as Christians is we don't believe in karma. We don't believe that God helps those who help themselves. We don't believe that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. 
That's not what we're taught here. That's not what Jesus is saying. You're surely, if you sin, there's a good chance punishment will come, right? There, there are effects of that. And there are stories in the Bible that would teach us that. But equally, <laughs> good things don't happen to good people is true. It's, it's the entirety of the Christian faith. The entire, the whole Christian message is built upon the fact that a really horrible thing happened to the only good person so that a marvelously good thing could happen to all the really bad people, which is literally everyone else ever. So when you see a person suffering, have humility. Realize you aren't where you are because you're any less of a sinner. You're not so good that you're untouchable, but you're, you're where you are because the light of the world, God himself, Jesus Christ is gracious. And, and merciful to us we've got the northeast suburbs of indianapolis are a nice place to be and we are very very fortunate to be where we are but we need to realize that it's not because we necessarily worked so hard and did everything great because god could so easily take it away from us not for any sin not for any wrongdoing but just because he was chosen or choosing to work through it that way so we praise god how fortunate we are and we weep with those who weep knowing that it's not always oh look at that horrible sinner i'm so much better than he is second we have a deep sense of the work jesus has done in our lives when you come to see jesus as the light of the world sent from god to do these works and he opens your eyes that is a big deal that is a big change maybe my favorite line from all of this comes in verse 25 it says, one thing I know, right? So the Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders are attacking this, this man that was once blind. And they're saying, you know, give glory to God. This man is a sinner. Jesus is a sinner. Because in their heads, there was only one God. If anyone was claiming to also be God, that would be to steal glory from the one true God. And so what they're saying is, give glory to the actual real God by saying, this man is a sinner. And the, the man's response is, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. What I do know is... I once was blind, now I see. My encouragement this morning for you is, is you don't need to have chunks of the Bible memorized to have sight. You don't need to be able to properly explain Jesus from the Old Testament. You don't need to understand the practice of communion or baptism or, or all the ins and outs of all the other things a church does. <laughs> if Jesus has determined to give you sight, it's done. It's done. It's not a matter of, oh, I need to check this box and this box and this box. What does this man say? What, here's what I know. I was blind, now I see. Can you say that? Can you say, I once was blind, but now I see? Like, do you hate your sin? Do you feel guilt and shame? Do you find yourself struggling with it? Then praise God. Praise God because you once were blind, but now you see. Or do you love God? Do you love to be here and hear his word and sing his praises? And do you love God's people? And praise God because you once were blind, but now you see. And this all leads into my final point. Is that we worship Jesus. When we come to understand, when we start to see even a glimpse of who he is, his glory, his goodness, that he is the light of the world, that he is coming not to just heal people's eyes, but to give us spiritual sight that we might know God, that we might have a, a communion with God, that we might be put back into a right good relationship with god the creator of everything we worship him the 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 chapter john 9 it, it ends kind of closely ends with the blind man the formerly blind man he says lord i believe and he worships him why does he worship him 
If you look, it's not because Jesus said, hey, after you believe in me, you're supposed to worship. That's just what you do. Jesus doesn't say, worship me. No, this man, that's his response because of the great thing that God in Jesus had obviously done to him. Uh, it, was, uh, it was an amazing thing for him to realize, now I see, and this is the man responsible. But beyond that, when he comes and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? I'm the Son of Man. What he's saying is, I'm... I'm the one, you know, that Isaiah was prophesying about. I'm God come. I'm the Savior. I'm your salvation. And he had his eyes opened in this real physical way. But then Jesus comes and says, look, you're looking at me. You're looking at me. I am the Savior of the world. I am the Lamb of God who's come to take away your sins. And this blind man worships him. And he does it well. He does it rightly. And it's because of this great thing that God in Jesus had done for him. So we've also been given this great gift. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, this gift is yours. You have sight when you once were blind. My hope this morning, as I'm looking through this and studying this and, and wanting to bring this to you, is not to say, you know, do these things. I just want, you, want to show you what God has done for us, for me. What you have experienced and that it's a joyful thing. And that we respond in these ways. We weep with those who weep. And we have this deep sense of change in our lives. Even if we don't know anything else that gives us the strength and conviction to stand in the face of persecution. You know, I don't, maybe I don't know all the answers to those questions. But what I know for sure is Jesus gave me sight. And we worship him. We worship him. If you would, bow your heads with me and, and pray. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for opening our eyes, God. And for those of us who might still be walking in blindness, or as I'm, as I'm thinking through this and, and preparing for this week, God, that, that there may be stages of visual impairment where some of us see far down the road and some of us only see what's right now, God, that you would give us balance in that, that you would shine more light into our lives if we've forgotten, if we've moved away from, from that, that we would... Understand our trials are from you, that you work through them for our good, that you work through them for the good of others. God, ultimately, my prayer is that Jesus would be made known. The great work that you've done in him for us would stir our hearts to love you more. And out of that love, we would love one another. We would serve one another. We would praise you and that we would be transformed into a community that that shines with the light of the world. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you work through such foolish, uh, simple ways as a spoken word. And it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Um, if you would, we're getting ready to transition into our time of communion and offering. Before that, uh, Mark um, is going to lead us in a song. I, I'm, I'm ill-prepared, ill-equipped to do such a thing. So someone, someone needs to come and rescue me. Her, here he is. All right. I'm looking around. I should have prayed longer. I'm sorry. <laughs>